got what he wanted, didn't he? Except, wait a minute, nope. E-Corp's still gonna be just fine, because of E-Coin. He sure didn't see that coming, did he? Whoops! Oh well, consolation prize. At least we get to be miraculously off the hook for everything. Yes, sure, a couple of good people had to die in disgrace for that. But who's counting at this point, am I right? Hello, friend. Hello, friend. Well, it's back to the future again with another episode of our podcast dedicated to the show, Mr. Robot. Hey, Henry, how are you doing? Great, Margaret. How are you? Well, I'll tell you, I have a bit of a Twitter rant to go on with you that is so related to everything we have talked about in this entire podcast covering Mr. Robot. So I can't wait to talk about that with you. But as you know, we're here to discuss episode eight of season three of Mr. Robot called Don't Delete Me. Ko, written and directed by Sam Esmael. What did you think of this episode? Uh, you know, I was thinking about pacing of the show and i was wondering if mr robot writers ha- don't get pacing over kind of a multi-episode series the same way that, let's say writers from netflix do where they assume like because i feel like mr robot has a very herky-jerky sort of pace uh, throughout a season like some of the it seems like it's building momentum things seem like it's happening and then you'll have episodes like this where it seems like it kind of goes into more of a quiet, reflective period. I can see what you're talking about compared to the last few episodes where it was nonstop action and overlapping stories. This story focused a lot on Elliot, and basically we sort of went on a journey with him as he's contemplating suicide. I felt like I got pulled into it for a lot of reasons, specifically the acting of both uh, Rami Malek and the, the kid who played Muhammad. It just totally worked on me. I should mention that the title is called Don't Delete Me KO. KO file is represents a kernel object file and the kernel is the core of a computer's operating system and a .ko allows you to load files in different modules. It really struck me everything that exists in the world of computing and a lot of what we invent is based on human experiences. So sometimes the show hits you over the head with that pretty hard parallels of what we do in technology and how that reflects human relations and patterns of human relationships. But it really particularly stood out to me today. Yeah, I mean, I think I I don't have necessarily an issue with any of the content or anything. It was just more just kind of an observation about the pacing of the show. Uh, Because it seems like it will kind of get going and then uh, kind of take a little bit of a detour to fill in backstory or to kind of maybe build up for the next sort of uh, burst of action. But it's just kind of struck me because I've been watching other shows on Netflix recently and watching how those shows uh, over a a season, because I think the writers there are much more aware of how viewers will watch episodes back to back. And so they'll often kind of pace the the show more about how they want to pace it over a season rather than an individual episode. And I think they're a little bit, it, it's just very striking the differences between, uh, let's say, Netflix series and Mr. Robot. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you have episodes that are written by the show creator, Sam Esmail has a very specific way of storytelling and it often shines through. And while that's awesome because you get stuff like Mr. Robot, he definitely goes very strong in a single direction. I did appreciate that this 
story did start off with a flashback. And usually I'm not a huge fan of flashbacks, but I got pulled in right away with this one of Elliot and his father at the movies. And they're going to see Shallow Grave, which I have to admit I've never seen. Have you seen Shallow Grave? No. Um, have you ever put uh, like M&Ms into popcorn? My family probably would have put raisinets in the popcorn instead of Really? M&Ms. I've mm-hmm. never, I've never heard of this. Like this kind of blew my mind. I was... <laughs> No, seriously, I've never, I mean, maybe because I come from an immigrant, you know, family or something, like no one let us in on this trick, but never, like, it just kind of blew my mind. We lived in a neighborhood pretty close to a movie theater, and in fact... I had my first taste of incredible fame at the age of 11. I'm kind of kidding. It was a beautiful Art Deco movie theater. And I used to go there all the time with my family, especially my mother. And we would pig out all the time at the movies. And when I was a little bit older, like 10 or 11, the theater was torn down. It was a gorgeous theater. And I ended up on the evening news and in the newspapers. (laughs) Because I ended up going to some rally about it and doing a speech and it got picked up. That's my memory of going to the movies, but we would do it with Raisinets rather than M&M's. Although my mother did like M&M's with peanuts. Raisinets, really? Mm -hmm. So you had like chocolate um, and then little bits of raisins floating around (laughs) your popcorn bowl? Like buttery raisins? Buttery, salty raisins? Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. (gasps) Really? Does this mean you like oatmeal raisin cookies? I do like oatmeal raisin cookies. In fact, I baked them a few weeks ago. (laughs) I I love oatmeal raisin cookies, but I've discovered that it's a particular type of person that likes oatmeal raisin cookies. Like there's some people out there who really don't like the idea of raisins being in essence, like the, the place of the chocolate chip. You know what I mean? Like some people don't think a raisin should be in a cookie. Oh, yeah. Well, I particularly love the taste of popcorn and chocolate together. So when Elliot was being shown this by his father, I thought that was really cool. It looks like Elliot's pretty upset with his dad. He got pushed out the window and by his dad and he broke his arm. He had a sling and, you know, his dad was like very apologetic and everything. But basically, you know, the story being that Elliot told his mother uh, that his father had cancer and his father was so upset that he pushed Ellie out the window and he broke his arm. And so this scene at the movie theater is basically when that happened. Uh, in the aftermath of that, his father trying to kind of make it up to him. I guess they're going on regular movie nights. Uh, but to me, what's interesting is as Elliot sits down, he's talking to someone who isn't there, an imaginary person. And so to me, I'm wondering, at this point, had the Mr. Robot character emerged from Elliot already? Or are we witnessing the birth of the Mr. Robot character for Elliot? That's how I read it. I read it that this is the birth of the Mr. Robot character where Elliot starts externalizing some aspects of either himself or projecting his father into some imaginary friend. And I guess lots of kids have imaginary friends. Or not lots, but... Yeah, and this is the aftermath of his father being so hurt by Elliot that he collapses. Um, and I'm not sure if that's the moment he passes away or if he recovers, but uh, Elliot sort of kind of coldly walking away, going in, sitting at the movies, while his father is left to the care of strangers. Seems pretty cold-blooded. That made me pretty upset to see Elliot, young Elliot do that as well. It made me think he was a little bit, yeah, I guess cold-hearted is, is probably the best way to put it. His father tried to say, I made some, some mistakes, forgive me. And young Elliot is like, you're not sorry. You're just sorry because you're sick, I think he said. And 
it was really cold. Do you think it was just the way for this kid to cope? I mean, I guess if you think about the house that young Elliot grew up in with his mother being so cruel, it sort of fits in with that environment. It's just anger, right? Like if you think about the defining characteristic of Elliot's character, to me, part of that is his anger and how he's unable to really fully express his rage. He, but if you think about it, he's a very angry person. Like there's a lot of rage inside of him. And he comes out when he bullies people by finding stuff out about them or the way that he'll just shut people out of his life because he judges them, finds them in contempt and decides that they're not worth, you know, interacting with. But it seems to me that Elliot had a lot of rage at this moment. And that's why, you know, people are able to do really cruel things is because of anger and rage. And so for Elliot, having bore the the weight of his father's secret only to have his father then try to, in essence, kill him by pushing out the window, um, he's got to have a lot of anger at that moment. Probably his father was one of his only sort of allies in that household, right? I mean, in addition to Darlene, but she's a kid too. And if the mother is really as sort of troubled as she seems and taking it out on her kids, it's a bad situation all over. So we come back to the present day and we find Elliot at home. He's sort of in suicide mode at this point and he's reading false accounts. I thought that was pretty compelling about the whole bombing of those 71 buildings and blaming Iran and linking them to F society. And Elliot's in the process of just deleting everything. He's wiping down, as they say. And it seems like it's something that he does with some frequency. It doesn't seem to uh, alarm uh, Darlene at all. And it makes me wonder if this is something that we should all be doing is just regularly just purging our records because you know there's certain laws governing privacy of emails that assume that they're abandoned uh and so eligible for government surveillance for instance if it's after 90 days uh so the law treats things older than a certain period as somewhat abandoned and we carry around so much data like uh you know i don't know how long your his files or archives go back margaret but i'm sure they go back 10 plus years um you know to for what purpose do you ever find value in it there are some places where i have archives that go back pretty far and then there are other places like some social networking platforms where i have installed chrome plugins where i'm essentially wiping everything I've ever posted there. Not that the toothpaste isn't already out of the tube in a lot of ways, but I don't want to make it easy. And it's not like I have anything to hide, but there's a footprint there. You lose control and ownership over it, even sometimes immediately, depending on where you're posting, right? Oh, Henry, I think at this point I have to tell you about my Twitter rant today, because this is exactly what we're talking about. This is so related to what we're discussing in terms of Elliot regularly taking precautions to protect his privacy and overkill the microwave and all that. So I'm on Twitter today, just minding my own business. I got into this sort of Twitter debate with several MPs in the UK. I definitely one Tory, a BBC producer, and it all started because there was one representative in the UK government who was talking about people in her office. And I, and I don't know if it's one person or several people. They all have her login credentials for parliament. Really shouldn't share passwords. Like that's rule number one of cybersecurity. The whole attitude is we trust our team. Our team's really great. One after another, all of these different British MPs were 
sticking up for the original MPs. I regularly share my password. I can't remember my password credentials without my assistant's help. I took screenshots of all these tweets because I think it's one of the most reckless things I ever heard of. Because on the one hand, we're talking about vulnerabilities. And it's not even to say that team member is not trustworthy, but it's introducing another vulnerability. You don't know where people are accessing your login from. It's just incredible to me, the lack of security. And I wanted to hear what you thought about that. I think part of it also is a failure of good tools. Um, you know, just things like uh, I was recently using the program 1Password. Uh, I don't know if you use it, but mm -hmm. we use it at, at work. And I was trying to, let's say, share a login that I had created with a colleague, right? But And you would think that it'd be possible just to selectively share uh, login credentials with one person rather than the entire company. Uh, but it's actually really hard to figure out and do. And that, to me, seems like such an obvious thing to be able to build, like especially if you're promoting it for like shared enterprise use, is the ability to say, I want to share this password with like these four people but no one else, right? Um, and it makes me wonder to what extent it's been convenient for various government parties and entities not to promote stronger security because it allows them to snoop and uh, break into people's accounts um, because it's actually maybe in their interest at, the, uh, at some point. But at some point, you have to think whether or not it's more rational to just make better cybersecurity easier for everyone. I definitely think there that's part of it. And yet I think we have to hold certain folks in higher to a higher standard of security. And it, and I just think there isn't there are enough protocols out there to, I mean, what if you're a trusted team member who has all of this access to potentially extremely confidential information, has your email loaded on their smartphone, and they're traveling somewhere, maybe, you know, they, they live in England, they're traveling, any, it could be anywhere, it could be Miami, and they just leave their phone in the bar. And then somebody else has access to all of that email and secure information. It's not a matter of not trusting people. I just think it's fairly wanton, um, to be quite honest. Well, and I also wonder to what extent the institutions that, you know, let's say parliament or Congress has to also provide guidance to its members, maybe some sort of minimum security guidelines or, uh, yeah, an official code that they're expected to adhere to that governs very practical things like password creation, account sharing, um, and things like this, so that there's some minimum standard that members know what to uh, aim for. Because it seems to me that if you basically leave it up to the various members, you're going to get a lot of different interpretations of what good security constitutes. But if you're really being going to be serious about having better security, you need to have some standardized floor across your institution so that it basically makes the entire network more secure. Yeah, cybersecurity should not be an afterthought. That's my mantra at this point. Not that I'm perfect, but I'm also not a minister of government. <laughs> what I really liked about this particular scene where Elliot was wiping down, there were funny little things. I heard the voiceover about what it means when you delete something and then choosing to free up space. I like that he named Trenton's disc Bruce Springsteen because she's from New Jersey. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it kind of takes us back to season one where you saw a lot of this, where regularly he would burn CDs of people and kind of cryptically code them in a way that was fun for people to hunt the meaning for. Mm-hmm. And and Darlene stops by in the meantime to insist that uh, Elliot speak with Angela because she's she's breaking down and Elliot said she should be. How did Darlene end up being sort of the caretaking type and the go-between. And I don't know, do you, do you understand the rationale why anyone cares about Angela at this point? Is that, am I just being cold-hearted myself? I think the three of them have been childhood friends and they're kind of locked into certain patterns of behavior and relationships. Like it seems like Angela's had breakdowns before because the way that Darlene talks about it, it makes it sound like Elliot should know that she's had, you know, having another one. Um, and so it seems like the three of them kind of bounce between like taking care of each other. There's always two people to take care of the one that's currently having the crisis, whether it's, uh, Elliot, Angela, or Darlene, like it's basically always going to be two people helping out that one who's in crisis. Yeah. And I was thinking a little bit about it more because I do have such a visceral reaction, um, to helping Angela. Like if I were, I would have had the same response as Elliot and I understand they have this background. And yet when I have friends that I want to be there for, when they mess up, they're not really involved in, you know, 3000 people's deaths. And so it's hard for me to reconcile that. And then I started thinking, well, Clearly, Angela's been brainwashed on some level. I mean, she's been manipulated and brainwashed. How responsible is she for her actions? I think pretty responsible, but does that give her any slack? Uh, It kind of also raises the question of who Angela really is then. You know, maybe it's going to, the plot line's further going to develop where we find out that Angela that we've known is more of a reprogrammed Angela and that there's another Angela just waiting to come out, which probably means that there'll be going to be more flashbacks unfortunately. Sorry, Margaret. (laughs) Well, Elliot prepares to end his life by dropping off Flipper to his neighbor, who is played by Josh Mostel. And then he goes to buy some drugs that we later discover he found out through hacking into Mobley's brother's Facebook account. And that's how he knew to get those drugs and, and to find the morphine. And I don't have too much to say about that scene. Did you have anything to say about either of those scenes that stood out? Drugs are bad. <laughs> drugs are bad. And then we get to see Elliot going on his journey to visit Mobley's brother, who we find out later at not surprisingly, is a major hypocrite, but he just doesn't want to have anything to do with Elliot or even picking up his brother's body because he's a traitor. And we've seen some echoes of this in recent events, right, with the the mass shootings and the way that the families deal with the public attention in the aftermath. Uh, it's such a, a surreal, strange thing. Um, so is, is this this kind of scene and the way that the brother was reacting to it kind of made me think about what uh, any of us would do if we were to suddenly find out that our sibling is being blamed for some terrible mass tragedy. The reactions would probably be all over the place, uh, depending on the family and the the different people in the family. And of course, the reaction to Elliot's presence by Trenton's family was much different. They were in the process of moving out, probably because they didn't feel safe anymore. Yeah, and it really makes you think like of the the fact that you can actually feel unsafe because of something someone in your family did. Like you don't think about that in this day and age, but you could literally have to move away from your town or your neighborhood because people hate your family so much. 
I mean, it's kind of crazy, but it, it happens. It is sad. And, you know, they, they tried so hard to make a life there. And I guess they're moving maybe closer to the rest of the family. I have to wonder how much this is autobiographical because Sam Esmail lived in New Jersey and his family is, he's of an Egyptian background. And I wonder if any of that is autobiographical or at least, you know, the experiences he saw growing up. Trenton's family can't figure out why she went to Arizona. I I wonder if they'll ever find out. Unclear. Mm -hmm. And then we find ourselves back at Coney Island, which is emptier than I've ever seen it in my life. I don't, (laughs) how did they get the whole beach empty to themselves? Maybe they were there really early in the day, but uh, Elliot was ready to end it all. And then this is where we discover that Trenton's little brother, Muhammad, who I think was awesome, tracked Elliot down and refused to leave even after Elliot said, go away, because Elliot doesn't own the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Kid logic. Did you like the interaction between Alicia Hennig, the actor who played Muhammad, and, and Rami Malek? Uh, I mean, I thought, I thought they were well paired, um, and I liked their interaction. Uh, I would just have rather have seen something. I don't know. I felt like that whole interaction and that that kind of uh, scene between uh, Elliot and him was a little bit wasted. It felt like filler to me, to be honest. I do like how there there are increasing signs that things are not going well for society as a whole. You see a greater presence of military. It seems like there's stricter controls being introduced into society. It's pretty subtle, but I like how it is consistently being layered on more and more. It makes me think about something I saw on Twitter recently where uh, someone had tweeted that their 98-year-old grandmother who uh, was went through the Holocaust or something like this um, said that it didn't become Nazi Germany overnight, that it was a series of ch- you know changes that were unsettling uh, in and of themselves, but nothing super alarming until it was past the point of no return. Um, and comparing that uh, transition uh, to maybe what's happening now under the Trump administration. Pretty interesting parallels from what I have heard, depending on where you were, those changes were sometimes more subtle. Also, we're seeing a lot of folks turn turn an eye to, to these realities as well. So that's part of it too. I think people just don't want to look at things. And so they come up with excuses to either not think about it or to attribute what's going on to other things. That's a huge problem too, I think. For sure. Eventually, Muhammad breaks Elliot down enough that he names something that Elliot likes to do, which is the movies. And there was one cute interaction here that I liked where Muhammad said, do you like the movies? And Elliot's like, I like the movies. Muhammad was like, well, I've never been to the movies. And then you could see Elliot look at him a little wistfully and get pulled and say, well, there probably isn't anything good playing anyway. So at the moment, I could tell Elliot was totally hooked. We, we knew the whole time he wasn't going to kill himself. I don't really think that was the real tension there, but I think that was the, the turn, at least in terms of the story. It's interesting the things that bring Elliot back, because it seems like there's been numerous occasions where Elliot seems like he's on the verge of just checking out, whether it's to commit suicide or just abandoning you know, his involvement with trying to stop dark society. Like He gets to the point of just being like, F it, like, I don't care, like just whatever. You know, and then something always brings him back, something related to his childhood or past that makes him happy or it gives him hope uh, are usually the things that pulls him away from the dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, he 
goes to, um, then he realizes at some point while he's watched Back to the Future. And I, and I love how it all sort of, there's this kismet in this whole encounter because it not only harkens back to how Elliot was with his dad and all that kind of uh, obvious parallels, but we're also on the day of the anniversary for the date that was used in Back to the Future. We see all of these cosplayers. I thought that was just fun and hilarious to see all the Back to the Future cosplayers. And the guy who played Doc, who was sitting next to Elliot in that seat, I was really hoping it was Christopher Lloyd. But, you know, what can you do? That would have been a great cameo if they had gotten him, but I don't, I don't think he's willing to, to do it for, for the show. That'd be crazy. And so when Elliot discovers that Muhammad has disappeared, he starts feeling bad or panicked because who knows what's going to happen to this kid, although he seems like a free-range kid in his own right. But he hails down an ice cream man who who knows exactly where the, all the mosques are in the neighborhood. And I thought what was really great about that scene, and I'm sure this is you know, one reason it was written like this, is that in New York, and I think it gets emphasized a lot in the show, all different sorts of cultures and people live together to me this whole scene felt very surreal <laughs> why what, why do you say that like randomly running to, into a guy who runs ha, drives an ice cream truck who happens to know the exact mosque like it just felt very lynchian i guess yeah he was a hasidic ice cream truck driver who was just randomly driving around in this listening to war of the worlds right <laughs> on the radio so that definitely added to that element and the ice cream cone sort of on top of the ice cream truck. And, and I know you lived in New York. And so if you live in New York, ice cream trucks are just a fact of life in the summer and in the fall. It's just like they are everywhere. No ice cream trucks in San Francisco, though. Uh, in the mission, you have guys going around with carts, but no trucks. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to love the Mr. Softy ice cream truck that would go around the neighborhood and where I grew up in Philadelphia. But then when I lived in New York and the ice cream trucks are going around all the time, I was like, why don't they shut up? <laughs> so I guess I, I uh, aged out of that audience. <laughs> well, and ice cream trucks in our neighborhood growing up weren't just about the ice cream. It was also the other stuff they sold. Like they used to sell these little things that you could throw. They were like bundled in white paper, like uh, snap rocks. You throw them and they pop. Um, they would break, sell model airplanes and stuff, so we'd buy them also. Uh, you, they would sell cigarettes that had that were bubblegum. Do you remember those bubblegum cigarettes? Oh, yeah. Right? And you think about it, and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, he used to sell, like, talk about marketing to children and getting children started early. Like, you, I, like, I remember pretending to smoke using those uh, bubblegum cigarettes. Like, it's crazy. I was allowed to buy those. Definitely remember the candy cigarettes. And I also remember the, I used to, the lick, lick them sticks where it was like the pure sh sugar, like pure vanilla stick that you would basically dunk into bags of colored sugar, flavored sugar. <laughs> so oh, disgusting. The, the solid white thing, right? Yeah. And you would lick them and then just stick them into bags of powdered artificial sweetener, colored goodness. <laughs> so bad. Oh, the good old days. Then we basically see some very touching scenes at the mosque and, and with Muhammad. And it's pretty 
possible to imagine a kid like that would be left alone so much um, while his parents were away. And it seems like it happened a lot. And I guess there still are a lot of kids who are kind of free range like that. We don't really realize it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I want my children to be able to grow up like that. That says something about how safe society is. Unfortunately, it's, you know, seems like it's becoming a thing of the past. Yeah. And so they they sort of cement their relationship. Uh, and then, of course, Elliot, feeling that new lease on life, goes back to Mobley's brother and is like, dude, I have so much dirt on you. You are such a hypocrite. And you're going to give your brother the best funeral and the best eulogy, or you're just going to be exposed for the fraud you are. And again, back to kind of season one, like this is the kind of stuff that Elliot would do in season one, where he was kind of like the Robin Hood of hackers or, you know, this vigilante sort of character utilizing his hacking skills to right the wrongs. Um, And we see kind of a a flashback to that here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. And and Mobley and Trenton both deserve that consideration. They were really both super loyal and and just part of part more than just part of the team. I mean, they gave up their lives for for their beliefs, whether they wanted to or not. And then we also got to see Elliot going back to see Angela and try to pull her out of her morass. Did you have any thoughts about that scene? They're going to try to figure out how to go forward together. Um, and I feel like part of that will involve Angela telling what she knows. Um, so us by extension, uh, the, the audience will get an idea of what Angela's privy to in terms of White Rose's plans, I think, coming up in the next episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, unless you wanted to talk about anything else, we could move into the which would you choose portion of this podcast. Yeah, let's move into which would you choose. So Henry, do you want to talk about how we play which would you choose? Yeah, which would you choose? A game that Elliot and Darlene used to play in their childhood on their long car rides, where they'd ask each other very difficult questions framed around which would you choose? Uh, so my which would you choose today for you, Margaret, is if you went to the movie theater, which would you choose, popcorn or candy? You can't have both. You have to choose. Oh, that's easy for me. Popcorn all the way. Okay. Because I am not much of a sweet eater. I don't really like candy that much. And even though I bake a lot, uh, I love popcorn. Uh, so popcorn with lots of salt and no butter. Or maybe, no a little, maybe a little butter, but not movie butter. Not movie butter. Do you bring your own packets of butter? No, but I make my own popcorn at home, and so it's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So much butter. Oh, oh, oh. oh butter bean. <laughs> what about you? Which would you choose? You know, when I was a kid, I think it was very clearly popcorn. Although, the but if I go to a place that has Reese's Pieces for, uh, as a, like a, candy i'll probably get that over popcorn these days okay all right good one that's a that's a respectable answer and i have a which would you choose for you are you ready sure okay snapchat or instagram instagram okay why do you say that well instagram uh i find the interface a lot easier i think snap is a bit too busy still um and and for me snap uh not snapchat uh 
Instagram is very clear. Like I take pictures and I watch I view pictures. It's a very kind of simple thing. Uh, whereas Snap, I feel like is still trying to figure out what it is and it needs to be a lot of other things. Like Instagram can just be Instagram. Facebook doesn't really want to turn into anything else. Um, it's got a lot of other properties to do that. Snapchat, their Snapchat app is the only vehicle that Snap has to rebound its stock price and win back the investors' confidence. So they're trying to, I think, do a lot. Um, and that's the challenge for them. Yeah, I think your assessment is spot on. I think Snapchat or Snap in general is a great company. They're so innovative, so forward thinking. I love how fresh Snapchat is, but Instagram has the edge all the way in addition to being owned by that behemoth Facebook, which I found co-authored a study recently on people's edited posts. So you think what you post on Facebook is only live once you click submit, but if you edit or if you reword whatever you're posting, and I guess if you type it in that box and you compose it, that can be tracked as well. So there was a study that was just released. So I just think Facebook or anything that's touches Facebook, except Oculus, will have a miraculous lead. And I, I like Instagram as well. It's fun to use. I'm not a fan of their filters. I like Snapchat. I just think they're going to have a hard time keeping that critical mass going as their users start to age out of using their service. And I think also there's going to be a period of time where there's a lot of adult content on Snap also. And I think you know, Twitter also has a lot of adult content, but I think people kind of know that Twitter is a bit of a dumpster fire <laughs> when it comes to its content. Whereas I think Snapchat, people kind of perceive it still as something more youth oriented. And I think I'm, I'm just waiting for this story to break in the mainstream press about all the adult content that's on Snapchat and kind of framing it as like, a, a, you know, a warning to parents sort of thing. Um, and parents groups starting to lobby and boycott Snapchat. Because if that were to happen, I think its stock price would go down even further. Like if advertisers started pulling out of the platform uh, because it was getting flack from parent groups and uh, morally conservative groups, I think a lot of the mainstream brands would soon leave. And I think that would really just be hard for Snapchat to rebound from. They are definitely a lot more vulnerable than Instagram. And I didn't forget to mention earlier on, I meant to bring this up, but we did get some feedback from a listener named Scott about what he thinks is going on with Terrell or what he thinks may not be going on. Do you mind if I just quickly read that? Yeah, sure. So Scott wrote to us and said, I think Terrell is being given a pass from the Dark Army from, for some reason. I'm not sure why yet. Irving set it up to look like Terrell had been held against his will, as you pointed out, Henry. And then Terrell was shouting about stopping the attack. The scenario that they had his family and forced him to cooperate is at least plausible enough to give his lawyer some wiggle room. I don't know what the Dark Army's reasoning is, though, except now they want to pin it on Iran and not Terrell. So thank you so much, Scott, for sharing that perspective. And it does seem like the Dark Army is protecting Terrell for the moment, at least. Well, I think White Rose has shown that he's not a wasteful fellow. So if he can salvage Terrell and utilize him to do something else, 
then so much the better. Uh, don't forget that Terrell was trying to vie for the CTO position and was really upset when that went to someone else. Uh, we know that White Rose has told Price he's out as CEO and that he's going to find him a replacement. I wonder if Terrell is a dark horse candidate for the new CEO role at Oh, that's awesome. That is poetic justice. And I shouldn't be Team Tyrell because he is a cold-blooded murderer, but that would be so devious. I completely could see that happening. So, Margaret, you know, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about all the stuff that we kind of generate and that's being stored about us, and whether we, it's a good idea or not. It kind of made me think that a future application for all the stuff that we tend to accumulate through the course of our lives digitally would be some sort of AI agent that would then serve as kind of a memorial for us to be able to answer questions from descendants or other people who would ask like, you know, what does Margaret, what would Margaret think about such and such? Or what did Mar Margaret think about this? Or tell me something that happened to Margaret, right? And you would have this AI uh, service that had connected to all of your digital life, basically, and could assemble answers. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I was just talking with somebody literally a week ago who has a, um, a similar concept. It's, it's just a matter of time until we do that. And uh, so I think it's a great idea. I mean, we just saw in the news recently there was a person who started an AI religion. <laughs> no, I think that's a good idea, and I think that is where it's heading. And it's stored in blockchain. <laughs> uh, stored in blockchain. I think uh, the first blockchain virus is coming. Uh, we just, uh, yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be interesting when it comes. Oh, man. Well, I'm so glad that all these British MPs are sharing their passwords <laughs> with <laughs> so many people. Oh, and, and talking about their security practices online. On which Twitter! Is, uh, which in and of itself is bad security practice. Like don't tweet about your security. I just quit. I just can't believe it. And I really think, and I don't mean to make a big deal about it or criticize they don't make it easy to manage passwords and stuff like that. But I think that's a huge news story personally, even small steps like two factor identification and, and really not sharing logins unless it's some kind of public account where you can share logins where that's enabled. Anyway, um, did you have one word that you felt encapsulated this episode? Meandering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meandering is a good one. I'll say popcorn. <laughs> popcorn. All right. Yeah, because it was everywhere in this episode. <laughs> and it yes, gets everywhere. Seriously, after watching this, it made me want to put some M&Ms in my popcorn. <laughs> Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm kind of bitter that I've gone through life without knowing about this. No one told me. None of my friends did this. It's not like my friends went to the movie theater and secretly poured their M&Ms to their popcorn. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, how did you get chocolate in your popcorn? No, like no, nobody I knew did this. So it's been it's like a total mystery. Well, I was allowed to drink literally liters of soda in one sitting growing up. So I don't know if you missed anything. Yeah. When I think about how much soda I consumed as a kid, like, wow, I, I hope that, uh, you know, people are a little bit more smarter about how much soda they consume now. It's incredible. Well, this has been so much fun talking with you, Henry, and I hope that more listeners feel free to 
write us at the hello friend podcast at gmail.com like Scott did anytime we're, we're around and thank you to people who've been posting reviews on iTunes. That's so nice of you, Henry. We have a couple new ones. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much. We, we read them all and we really appreciate them. So uh, please keep it up. I really look forward to talking with you soon, Henry, as we hurdle towards the end of this season. Yeah. Uh, let's discuss in future episodes, but uh, what, what sort of cliffhanger we're going to expect. Okay. Don't forget your M&Ms and popcorn and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Margaret. Bye. Wouldn't some hot buttered popcorn hit the spot right now? Extra fluffy, extra big kernels of it pop to perfection. Then drenched with the golden goodness of pure sweet creamery butter. Can't you just taste it? We heap the container extra high, but <laughs> you better buy two more for the rest of the family. Piping hot golden buttered popcorn at the Refreshment Center right now.